When HD TV came out a few years ago, I thought it would be great to have one. I wasn't what they call one of the early adopters, but I had been over at Best Buy and I saw the stunning picture quality. And then I was over at a friend's house, somebody in the church, and noticed uh, as we were watching the ball game just how much clearer everything was, and I was convinced. And so one weekend, they had this great deal, and I went over and I got me one of those large screen Samsung TV, HD TV, and I brought it home, wired the thing up in a matter of moments, and away we went. For a couple weeks, I was watching HD TV. And then we had an issue with the cable. And a technician came out, and during the course of working on things, he said, do you want me to switch your cable TV box to HD TV so you can see HD TV on your new TV? <laughs> and there was this long pause. <laughs> and you know the funny sound the balloon makes when you're letting the air out of it. <laughs> I mean, that's the way my life felt at that moment. I'd never thought about converting anything on the cable box, and all this time, I thought I was watching HDTV. After all, it was a better screen, better than what I had, but yet something hadn't been converted. I wonder how many today are playing with the presence of God much like I did with the HDTV. Just assuming because you got HDTV, you're watching in high def. Just assuming that you're hanging out in church once in a while, maybe coming at Christmas or Easter, or chipping a couple bucks in the offering plate here and there, but there's been no conversion in your heart. We're in this sermon series, and this is not something that we thought, hey, this would be cool. This is not some accountability program that the board thought up or that the stewardship committee thought would be fun to do. But we're reminding and challenging each and every one of us that if we really call ourselves a Christ follower, there's going to be certain characteristics that you're going to be taking on. There's going to be some fundamental changes about your life. And we're reviewing those fundamental changes with you, what it means to be a believer of Jesus Christ, to be someone who's becoming like Christ. We're calling this all in because after all, if you're really converted, you're all in. And you ought to be connecting with God routinely, and that's what we call prayer. You ought to be praying to God. It ought to be a characteristic of your life as a disciple. There ought to be a sense that something's different about your life. Apostle Paul said you're shining as a light in this dark world. You ought to be a witness. There ought to be something different about your life. You ought to testify to it. You ought to be a giver. Generous like God is so generous with us in giving his only begotten son that we might have life. And to realize that everything we have anyway belongs to God. It's all gone back in the box when we're done here walking these years. And that we are in service to God in some way. And of course with our presence. 
Now, next week, we're going to ask you to rededicate yourself, if you will, to these, these important characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. And boy, it would be great if somebody were here to say, you know, I'm rededicating my life to God. I want to reaffirm my baptism. And maybe there's someone here that's kind of been hanging out, but they've never had that conversion. That would be really wonderful if you were to give your life to God and next week we had a baptism. Today, for a few minutes, I want to talk about this issue of presence with you. Now, when we talk about presence, at the very root of it, of course, we're talking simply about showing up and being present. And we become part of the church, and we worship God, and we live out our faith in a Christian community. And some people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And some people say, I just don't have to go to church. I can be a Christian even without stepping a foot in the door. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to your garage makes you a car. Right? I mean, going to church doesn't make you a Christian just like going into a garage doesn't make you a car. But let's turn that question around for a moment. Instead of saying, does going into a garage make you a car, what kind of car never goes to a garage? And I think maybe the answer to that is a neglected one. Now, maybe you don't park your car in the garage anymore. It's 10 or 15 years old. The paint's peeling off of it. And you don't care what it looks like, but I bet you care how it runs. And then it gets you to the store and back. And it gets you to work and back or to be the bus driver for your kids and ferry them all the town. And you may not care how it looks, but I guess you care how it works. And to be perfectly honest, the only kind of car that never goes into a garage is a clunker somewhere, a real piece of junk that's probably on some jacks or on some bricks in somebody's backyard. And is that how you want your Christian life to be? A junker, a neglected jalopy, and no longer running like it should. Going to church folks, doesn't make you a disciple, but it does put you in a place where you're likely to become a follower. It does make a clear statement about who you are. It does put you in a position to encounter God and to say, yes, I want to know more about God. It does say something about your priorities in life. Now, a key aspect of keeping yourself in God's presence is your priorities. And why is it that so many so-called Christians today lose their joy? They start off with a bang. Everything is great. They're filled with excitement. They're filled with energy. They're filled with enthusiasm. And when they first become a Christian, everything is fantastic. But as time goes on, they spring a leak. And joy begins to ooze out of their life. And they lose the presence of God in their life. Now, Paul is writing here to these Christian people in Philippians chapter 1. And right in the beginning in verse 1, he's telling them something and giving them some insight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say here, rejoice in the Lord. And it's no trouble for me to write that again to you, he says, because I want to keep you on track. Paul is concerned here that these believers at Philippi, they don't lose their joy. 
And, you know, we all need to keep our priorities in right perspective. We need to know what is important and what Paul says here is profit and loss. Don't lose your joy over things that really don't amount to a hill of beans. The number one reason that people lose their joy is they misplace their priorities. And they get too involved in things that are really not important in the scheme of things. And they make things a priority over God. And Paul speaks about rejoicing in the Lord. And when we do it, it gives us such a different perspective on life than the world offers. You know, perspective is important. You probably heard about the two guys. One lived in Colorado and the other lived in Texas. And they wanted to see a different part of the world. And the guy in Colorado, he moved to Texas. And he said, uh, he built this big house, had this large bay window. And he said, uh, you know, I can look out now. But he says, I, I just don't see anything. It's just miles of rangeland. And the other guy in Texas, he moved to Colorado. And he built a nice house. He wanted to see the world different. And he moved up in the Rocky Mountains. And he built this house with a large bay window. And he looked out. And he, I can't see a thing. The hills are in my way. How is your perspective today? You need to have a right perspective in life. Now, in our text, Paul is saying that what matters most is not your prestige. It's not your pedigree. It's not your possessions, your position, or your power. You can have it all and still be unhappy. But he's talking here about presence, that ongoing presence with God. Now, contrary to some commercials out there, you cannot have it all. And Paul points out in verse 8 that life consists of trade-offs, and that's an important lesson that all of us have to learn in life. He said here, he gave up some things in order to gain something. He gave up his religion in order to have a relationship. And as I said, the number one reason why people don't have joy is misplaced priorities. They are afraid that they're going to have to give up something in order to follow Christ. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You're going to have to give up everything. When you come to Christ, you give up all you have. It's what we mean by being all in. Otherwise, you're not a, a Christ follower. Now, a lot of people are looking for God in all the wrong places. A lot of people are looking for joy in all the wrong places in life. And Paul here compares the value of religion to the value of a relationship with Christ. And he says, folks, there's absolutely no comparison. He had been a very religious person, this guy known as Paul. From time to time, he'll start defending himself. Now, I was the chief persecutor. I was even a member of the Sanhedrin. I followed every aspect of the law. I lived up to every single thing that we were supposed to do. He was a chief religious person. And yet he realized it was all wrong. He says here in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. The word profit here is used one time. The word loss is used three times. And this is Paul's profit and loss statement. And all the things he talked about, he considered complete loss. All the things here he was talking about were worthless, he said. Now, the Phillips translation of the Bible says, I consider it 
all mere garbage compared to being able to win and be with Christ. The translators here are being really polite about this and they're being really delicate because if you read the Greek language, you understand the two words they're using here for garbage and rubbish. The Greek here is the word dung and it's the word manure. You see, all these things are just for the garbage pile. Goodness and righteousness are found, he says, not in religion, not even in this religiosity, but it's actually the very opposite. You know, when I was converted, I have to say I lost my religion. And I became a real follower of Christ Jesus. Paul here was so revolutionized that what he had been here, his prized possession is now relegated to the garbage can. And he realized he was all messed up and all the petty things. Besides maintaining priorities, something else Paul here indicates to us is that, you know what, we need to get to know Christ better and better. It's another indicator of who we are when we say we are a Christ follower. Never stop growing. You never stop developing your relationship with God. The moment you stop growing, you're going to start losing your joy. So many Christians stay close to where they got in in the Christian life. You know, when I was a kid, a time or two, I, I just barely got in bed, and during the course of the night, I rolled over and fell out of bed. And a lot of people haven't grown one bent since they made their decision to follow Christ. They don't have any joy. They're not maintaining the presence of God. Have you ever tried to bargain with God? Trying to find loopholes? Try to obey God in the easy things of life by passing up the hard instructions, by highlighting the wonderful promises and saying, yes, I'm going to stand on the promise of God, but overlooking those difficult statements. Obedience to God is defined as doing, as becoming. And what he says here is doing what God says and when he says it, how he says it, all he says, following it and being obedient, that's what we call being all in. And anything less than that is not obedience, it's disobedience. And Paul says here that his number one ambition in life is to know Christ at the end of his life. This guy has been a witness there. He was there on that uh, Emmaus experience. He'd been witnessing everything as going on living so faithfully, planning churches on these journeys, and yet at the end of his life, he wanted to know Christ more and more and more and more. He knew Christ already. And if you have religion, and yet you have no relationship with God, you don't have Christianity, you've got churchianity. And there's a big difference in that. And the answer to your problems and America's problems today is not having more religion but it's having the person of Jesus Christ in your life. A game we used to have and play some was out years ago called Trivial Pursuit. And that's a name that describes a lot of people today. The Trivial Pursuit, spending their lives on things that won't last, things that are really frivolous and petty, worried about the things in life that just don't amount to anything. 
You know, in Acts 27, there's a story of a ship that was beginning to sink, and in order to be saved, they took the very cargo they were transporting and dumped it all over in order to be saved. They threw it all overboard to save the ship, and that's a parable of life, isn't it? The very things we're carrying through life, we have to let go of in order to really experience life and have our life saved. I wonder today, what do you need to throw overboard in your life? You need to set as a goal today in your life to get to know Christ more and more, to be exposed to the presence of God on an ongoing basis. You know, I've learned in life that the wilderness is really part of the landscape of faith and every bit as essential as the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we are overwhelmed by God's presence. And in the wilderness, we are overwhelmed, it feels, by his absence. But both places should bring us to our knees. One in utter awe and the other in utter dependence. And I got to tell you, I've experienced God perhaps closest when we're singing. There's something about singing the songs and experience God's presence powerfully in worship. And I suppose it's because when we sing to God, we are looking hard in his direction. I want to invite you today to look hard in the direction of Jesus Christ to receive Christ and to practice his presence. Shall we pray? God, we thank you for this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to those believers in Philippi. For the challenges we find therein, for your care and compassion that we know is even translated to us today for all believers we pray for one another here in these tender moments, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and convict hearts and lives, O oh God. That we may not just be going through the routine of things, but that we may really be enjoying a relationship with you. We pray it in the name of Christ, our Lord. As we sing our closing hymn today, I do invite you to come to this altar. Reminded you this altar is present and it ought to be used. And if you feel led to come for prayer today, we invite you to do so. Let's stand as we close our time together and sing Be Thou My Vision, number 451.